Welcome to another episode of Round to Strong Chicago. My name is Omar Calvillo, and I'm glad to have my guest today. His name is Berto. Uh, Berto grew up uh, his whole life in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so we're going to be taking a trip up north, and I'd like to welcome my guest, Berto. Hey, what's going on, bro? I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, it's a real pleasure. I listen to the show all the time, and, and I look forward to doing this interview. Hey, man, hey, man, brother. Uh, I met uh, Berto through a JC. He was able to, to connect with him. Uh, you know, give me your number to connect. So, man, I, I've been listening to your podcast. You, you, you want to share what, what the name of that podcast is? <clears throat> yeah, the name of my podcast is uh, Normalized Crime. And basically, you know, it's uh, kind of similar to what you're doing here, bro. We, you know, we use my life story and kind of discuss some of my experiences and, and try to try to lead the youth in a, in a more positive direction. And that's basically our movement. And, and I believe it's it's all of our movement as a whole, right? Hey Amen. Yeah. No. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, like on the, on the same path. But yeah, you, you want to tell us a little bit about what what it was like growing up up there in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, I, I've never been up there, uh, so maybe if you could describe, you know, like the the neighborhood, maybe like paint a picture, you know, for the people that are listening, just so they could get a feel of what it was like like to grow up over there. Yeah. Sure. So I, I can paint a vivid picture right off the gate. Right. So Milwaukee is a microcosm of Chicago. Everything that you know, Chicago encompasses as far as the gang life, Milwaukee tries to duplicate. And a lot of the gangs that start in Chicago, they ultimately migrate to Milwaukee. Uh, so I grew up on the South Side, man. And, you know, throughout my childhood, <clears throat> I was naive to this as a kid. But, you know, once I got older and I started understanding the dynamic, <clears throat> basically the South Side was the majority of the South Side was a lot of Spanish people and the white people. And then, and then the North Side, you know, east side area, north side, west side area was like all the black people. And and then the east side was like more like downtown college area, you know. And, and so that was kind of the, the dynamic growing up, <clears throat> that transition as I got older and, and there started to be, you know, like more biracial. It was just everybody, influx of everybody. It was a melting pot. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of when I grew up, that, that's how the, it, it was. You know, the south side is like one of the biggest small places that is in Milwaukee because it's like everybody knows everybody through somebody, right? And okay. Maybe not in the maybe not in a literal sense, but you know, and figuratively, it's likely, man, that when you talk to people, somebody ends up knowing somebody. I, I listened to to your podcast. You know, I've been listening, and I know you mentioned like that you moved around a lot, right? I, I don't know if you want to yeah. share maybe one place uh, as you were young. You know, maybe that stands out more more than the others. You know, like no, for sure. And so my, my story is a little bit unique in the sense that when I say the South Side, I literally say the South Side because I grew up all over the South Side. You know, unfortunately, you know, in my childhood, there wasn't a house that I grew that I lived in uh, throughout my childhood that I that I wasn't evicted from, mm. you know. And, um, you know, so so I come from uh, obviously a family that had it, it, its issues, you know, dysfunctional. And, you know, there was abuse in the household. There was alcoholism and and all the common themes that I think hit, you know, hit home when it comes to troubled youth. And so, yeah, man, I grew up, I was the youngest of five boys. <clears throat> and to give some context to that, my three older brothers, I have my oldest brother, John, my second oldest brother, Ronnie, and then my, my third oldest brother, Joe, they each individually have their own father. And then okay. my brother, Tim, my brother, Tim, me and him have the same mom and same dad. And so, uh, throughout my childhood, obviously, my mom was with my dad, you know, and they were together, you know, 23 years before he passed away. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so that was, as a young, young kid, I remember growing up with all my brothers in the household. Now, you know, like I mentioned, man, there was, you know, there was abuse in my home, and my father, unfortunately, also came from a broken home, you know, and he had his own demons that he never was able to to fully get rid of. Um, and so he was abusive as a father and, and as a husband. So a lot of times, man, uh, growing up, my older brothers would run away. You okay. know? Um, at age five, my oldest brother ran away, you know, to his dad's family in Michigan. And he kind of just stayed up there throughout my whole life. He would visit, but you know, <clears throat> that was his, that was his out. He took it. And then my second oldest brother, he was on and off. He would, he would run away a little bit. But when I was about nine years old, he actually committed a murder. 
and he was she was a Latin king, and he committed a murder. And then, you know, my third oldest brother, he was kind of like mine and Tim's, like, ride or die. Like, he was there with us the whole time, you know? Like, he didn't have nowhere to run to, so to speak. So, okay. So he was, yeah, so he was there with us. And, and so that was kind of dynamic growing up, man. A lot of it was me and my brother Tim, really close, you know, um, that's like my best friend in the world. And then my older brother Joe was there a lot of the time too. So that's kind of how the family dynamic was. Uh, let, let me ask you this: What, what about you? Like as, as you're growing up, uh, did that also lead you, you know, like maybe to to want to want to get away from home? Well, you know, when I was really young, man, you got to remember I was in a. Uh, I, I really believe my story is unique in the sense that, you know, my dad was was still my biggest hero. Okay. Um, even even though I seen. Uh, the pain that he caused and, and was a part of some of the pain that he caused. Um, you know, my dad was, was my biggest hero. And it's crazy because we grew up in poverty, man, right? I mean, that's a common story. We grew up in poverty, but as, as weird as it is, like we always had like good Christmases or good birthdays. You know, like my dad made it a point to make those times special. And he made it easy for us to not really realize how poor we were. Okay. You know, and so my dad is really big on morals and my dad, he definitely taught me a lot, taught my brother a lot. And the main thing is that was easy to learn by what he was saying, but it was hard to learn by what he was doing, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. so I think with me growing up and seeing my brothers in and out of the household, my older brothers in and out of the household, and then obviously my older brother got you know, convicted of his crime. I never really thought about running away, you know, but as I got older, I understood it could be an option, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Now, let, let me ask you this. So, so, so what, what leads you, like, to go into the, to the streets, you know? Okay, yeah. So with me, man, I was, I was probably around the age 13. And, you know, it starts off, I think, pretty typical right like i wanted to be rebellious in the sense that i was you know smoking weed and drinking and you know trying to hang out and my older brother tim you got to remember he was he was like my my best friend you know he was already experiencing that and he was like hanging out at parties you know because he's two years older than me so he was experiencing pretty much what i envied you know and and i think that's where it started you know i had a friend I started hanging out with him a lot and his sister was dating the king. And that was kind of the introduction. They invited me and him to a party and we hung out and, and no strings attached. We got drunk and it was, it was nothing, you know, nothing extraordinary. And then it was kind of like just a casual, um, they would come around his house and, Hey, you guys want to come and hang out in the neighborhood? And so that's kind of how it started with me. It was, it was a drinking, hanging out. And then eventually I started going to the neighborhood. Okay. And um, <clears throat> the thing is, man, is when you start hanging around gang members in that kind of setting, it gets really serious really fast. You know, um, there's, there's no, uh, there's no training wheel, so to speak. And, right. and so, so you got to remember, I went from never seeing a gun in my life, you know, to, being around guns all day and you gotta you gotta act like it's extremely normal because otherwise you know you're not going to be trustworthy they're going to look at you like you're scared and and there's all these preconceived notions um that you're trying to avoid right and you're trying to build up this person to be strong and um and you know it went hand in hand like the south side was you know there was gangs everywhere you know there's gang violence so that that type of stuff is normal you know, that, that, uh, that atmosphere is normal. And uh, so I, I did my best, man, to just, to just try to blend in. And I started, you know, guys started liking me. And, um, before you knew it, man, I was, I was full blown. I was hanging around all the time and, and getting to know, you know, other different sub chapters of, of Latin King. And <clears throat> there had came a time where my original friend who I had met the, the Kings through, uh, I couldn't stay by his house no more. Okay. He uh, he was getting evicted. His family was getting evicted, and and I remember I was on the run from my own household. Oh yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. So so let me back up yeah, just yeah. a second. 
And so my parents had split around this time. And when I was hanging out with my friend, his name was Ernest. When I was hanging out by his house, my parents had split. And now the decision comes, who do I want to stay with, my mom or my dad, right? Now, we got to remember, I'm the baby, so naturally, my mom wanted me. Um, and But I'm also my dad's baby, too, so my dad wanted me. But I know in the back of my head, my dad's a disciplinarian, you know, and my mom is more passive. So naturally, I wanted freedom. I wanted to rebel. I chose to live with my mom. Okay. You know, and, um, and you know, that, that, that was, obviously, that was a mistake. You know, and um, because even staying with my mom, you know, she lived with my grandmother and there was rules there. So that's what made me run away altogether. Gotcha. You know, so I guess I could say that's that was where the main problem came into play was just dealing with not having that structure um, at home. And so. Looking for that in a different place, I guess, is, is something that a lot of people bring up and. I guess that's true, right. but but to fast forward now to back where I was at in my story, you know, once I couldn't stay by Ernest anymore, I had to make a decision, and I told Tim, which is my brother, I said, hey, man, you know, I ain't got nowhere to stay. I'm going to have to go back by mom, <clears throat> and he goes, well, you can come stay by one of my friend's house, and I knew the guy who he's talking about because, you know, for the majority of my upbringing, listen, I was always good in school. You know, I always played sports. And so um, I never had an issue with making friends. And and this guy um, that he's talking about, his name was Chico. Okay. And so the thing about Chico is that he had a really good family. And so when I went over there, he was like, hey, listen, man, you know, we'll take you in. Um but I'm sure my mom's going to have some contingencies for you, okay. you know, and her mom, his mom, his mom knew of me because I was in sports right. and her contingencies were go to school, you know, stay in sports, things that you would want of a young adolescent. Right. And I understood that, but I knew that wasn't what, what was going to happen. Um, right, right. And Chico was, Chico was just a part of a, <clears throat> he was a part of a different chapter of Latin Kings. And so I ended up transforming and that's, that's when the uh, the snowball, I guess, started. All right. You know. So, so what exactly begins to, to change or happen? So when I was hanging out in that other neighborhood, I would like walk to that neighborhood. You know, I would go to the neighborhood and hang out, and then I would go home by Ernest. You know. Right. Well, in this case, I was living with Chico, so there was nowhere to go, and there was kings showing up every day. So I never had to go and seek out being around him. So right. naturally. Being around, being around these guys every day, you know, you start buying into what it means to be a Latin king. And um, I remember when I got made and I got shown this manifesto and, and I had all these, like, euphoric feelings, man, just, just thinking I was, I was a part of something so much bigger than I could understand. Right. And, and I just remember feeling like, you know what, like, I'll dedicate my life to this. You know, like this is something that I could see myself being. Right. And and so now you got to remember. So my situation wasn't necessarily easy. And I say that because, yeah, I mentioned earlier that my older brother was a Latin king and he had a murder. He went to prison. Right. But my older brother um, wasn't extremely known. Okay. uh, to, to, To put it modestly. Right. Um, but my older cousin was, and my older cousin was a Latin King, right? And my older cousin actually had committed four murders, Whoa. but here's the difference. Right. My older cousin cooperated with the government when they got indicted. And gotcha. so coming up under that stigma was really tough, bro, because okay. now it's like everybody challenges you times two, you know, because, you know, your, your older cousin's got a bad name. So it's like, are you really worth us having you around kind of question? And yeah. so I always, I always lived with that, you know, and I always felt like I carried that with me. And then, and then also on top of that, like, you know, I never wanted to live in my older brother's shadow. You know, I never wanted to be known 
because when I was growing up, is is like you're at school, you're like, oh, you're Tim's brother, Berto, right? And and I remember feeling like, you know what, like that's the stigma I never wanted. I wanted okay. to create my own name, you know. I wanted to I wanted to have my own reputation, and so that was initially why I was from a different neighborhood than my brother, okay. you right. know. Um, but now we were together, you know. We were always on the same team. It was just I wanted to to carve my own path. Yeah. And so, yeah, man. Once I got a hold of like that that ideal, right? The ideology. Yeah. <laughs> once I got a hold of that, right? And and I'm talking about the Latin Kings part of it. Right. Um, I felt like it was it was meant to be, and that's where I say things change. Because now every day I'm carrying a gun. Right. You know, um, I'm starting to get into the the shootouts and and running from the cops and and all these things are starting to stack up. <clears throat> hey, can, can I ask you this? What, what what gangs are out there as far as like like the ops for for you guys out there? Yeah, yeah. So so our biggest rival throughout my career as a Latin King was probably they're called MP, which is Mexican Posse, and they're basically Sereños. Okay. And um and the reason why I say they were our biggest rival is because there were so many of them. Gotcha. Um, there was a lot of them. Uh, they were probably the largest street gang in Milwaukee. Um, even though they didn't inflict much damage, when there's numbers, you know, there's power. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. And then, yeah. And then we had the Spanish Cobras. We war with them a lot. Um, Spanish Cobras, actually, who killed <clears throat> my best friend, one of my best friends. Mm. Um, uh, we have uh, <clears throat> we have a gang, like, like, you know how there's, like, different branches of disciples, right? You right. Got Maniac Latin disciples, you got... So we had them. We had Spanish gangster disciples. You know, we got we got your basic, like, uh, folks. Yeah, yeah, You know, gotcha. we had... Uh, and then we even had, like, um, spinoffs of those, like, street gangs. We had a we had a street gang called uh, Two Ones. Okay. Which was on, 20, it's on 21st and Scott. It's, it's based primarily in that neighborhood. Right. Um, but they actually used to be a chapter of Latin Kings. Okay. And that's a whole other story. Right, right. But their their origin, their origin was that. And so, I mean, uh, they had another gang that originated from a family that was called Lopez. And I believe they, they turned it into like La Familia. They, they uh, transitioned into that. And okay. so I, I want to say there was probably, I mean, you're looking like a probably good like 10 gangs, right, you right. know. Um, but the biggest constant rivals were always like MP, Spanish Cobras, uh, two ones, you know, we always kind of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Gotcha. And so that, they, those were the predominant gangs. All right. So, so uh, when when they handed you, you said the the manifesto, you know, like the, I guess the the laws, right, and all that. How how old were you? I was thirteen the first time I picked it up, man. Gotcha. Okay. So they hand you this, and you yeah. feel like, man, you feel like, man, this is what I need to be doing. So what what begins to happen, like with you personally, like what what was your m mindset back then? Yeah. So. I think the biggest thing for me was I wanted to set myself apart from the average member. And, okay. and so there's a couple ways you can do that. Right. And one of the ways is to make a lot of money. You know, if you got a lot of money, you stand out. Well, I didn't have that. I didn't have that as an option. Um, and to be honest with you, I didn't even understand money at the time. All right. But the other way is through violence. Hmm. And so my goal was to be known as somebody who would always be ready for violence. If there was ever, if, if I was ever needed, I never hesitated. You know, if anybody, if anybody was in trouble, I wanted to be the first one to raise my hand. And that, that was my mindset, bro, for a long time. I lived by that. And I heard a lot of people behind it. Gotcha. And, uh, Obviously, it's something I'm not proud of. You know, I'm, I'm not glorifying it. It's just, it was just a mindset that I adopted. And so, yeah, I think that was the mindset, even even all the way up until basically I got indicted. Because I even, you know, I climbed the ranks, you know, by getting, you know, obviously people respected the way I, I carried myself like a man, you know, and I was always, I was always ready for that violence. I believe that that's, you know, I, I was the youngest Kasinka ever in Milwaukee, you okay. know, at 15. Yeah, at 15, I was I was the number two for our whole chapter. Gotcha. And um, and the ph philosophically, right when once I became that, even then I didn't feel like that was a moment to slow down because I felt like people would judge me for it. I felt like people would look at me like, "Oh man, 
you got to a particular and you feel like you made it, you know, right. like you don't have to put in work no more, gotcha. you know? And so that almost pushed me harder, mm. you know, to, to, to do even more dirt and to get in the street even deeper and right. deeper and deeper. And so, yeah, man, it, it's, it, it's crazy how fast you adopt these things. And yeah, man, that's where I was at, you know, leading up to the indictment was just mentally, I wanted to further this, this organization. Okay. Now, yeah, go ahead. Hey, now, you, you know what I, I was going to ask? Uh, I know you said the indictment, but uh, I, I believe you shared that you actually actually got locked up before the indictment, right? Right, right. That's exactly where I was going to. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, so, yeah, so I was about to be 16, and actually I caught my first charge. But the, the, the charge was actually from a crime I committed when I was 13. Okay. Um, so it was a shooting. I, uh, I, I shot a rival in, in the neck, right? And then I ended up getting told on by one of the guys that was with me. And so when I got brought in, um, you know, this is my first time ever being locked up for like a serious case. And now mind you, when that, when they brought me in, I had did so much dirt in the street that I didn't know what I was being brought in. Right. You know, I definitely think I was being brought in for something that happened three years ago, two and a half years ago. Right. At this time. And so, with that being said, man, when I went in there, I mean, the detective sat down and I gave him nothing. I gave him nothing. I got nothing to tell you. I got nothing to tell you. He came back in the middle of the night and he slid a statement on the table. And it was the guy that was with me um, when I did the shooting. And it's his statement. And um, now, granted, I, I still should have weighed my options and not right. said nothing. But I was a kid. You know, yeah. I didn't know no better, and, and I and I end up confessing to the charge. You, you can I ask you something when when they hand you you that statement and you read it, like d- did you know that it, man, this is real just be- because of what was written there was like like uh, actual facts? Yeah, yeah, it, because because he told like details outside of the actual shooting. Gotcha. You know, like he 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 told about details leading up to the shooting, right? right? Like right, how okay. I had the gun, and you know, so I knew right away. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. That this this like, is real. It's not so, it's not something they just made up and and threw in front of me. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, I, I put it in context right away, and um, and yeah, man, I ended up I ended up getting two years for that. It was a year, and then I got extended a year. It was like first year reckless endangering safety. Um, I'm thankful that I only got that a little bit of time because I mean the guy got hit in the neck. Right. And so, <clears throat> you know, I ended up getting locked up. Yeah, I went to, it was, it's a juvenile, it's basically a juvenile prison, man. I mean, this place had electric fences. Like, they, they were not playing. It was Department of Corrections. You were not leaving that place. Right, right. Um, and and to be honest with you, man, I just carried on from the street to to being incarcerated. You know, when I got up there, I immediately, you know, started organizing and started seeing <clears throat> What, what kings were up there, um, and I got it together. I ended up being the, the Inca in that prison where I was at, just continuing to represent the cause, so to speak. Right, right. And, um, yeah, I mean, throughout my time there, man, uh, I was there I was there for 18 months, and then I got out. I was out for about a month, and then I went back for six months, and then I got out. I was out for about a day and a half, <laughs> and I went back, and then I discharged in july of, of 2000 and july 16th of 2005 okay and then i got indicted in october 12th 2005 so i was only out man for like two and a half months three months after doing that time man. and um yeah man they, when i got indicted i got hit with the rico and there was 49 of us and i got hit with uh <clears throat> two murders and three attempts and i remember when i first got the the charges, you know, I really felt like they were just stabbing in the dark because one of the murders that I was charged with, and this is how naive I was, I knew I did one of the murders, right? But one of the other murders that I was charged with, I knew nothing about. And so I was like, man, they they got nothing. Like, why would they do? They're just charging me with anything, right? right? And I ended up getting exonerated for that murder in in court and, um, you know, because they found out who it really was. Right. It was a completely different gang. But my point is that that's how naive was at the time. I thought, okay, well, I can get away with this. This, you know, there's there's nothing to this. Right. And uh, you know, unfortunately, that's not how it goes, man. You know, I, I waited until we got our discovery, and, and I I went through the discovery with a fine tooth comb, and and I found nothing in there, and and nothing in there that would implicate me in any crime. Never okay. pointed out in the lineup. Never got caught with a gun. Nothing. 
But you get to the end of that discovery and they got a little small manila folder. And you look in there, that's when you get the confidential informant statement. Oh, yeah? And, um, yeah, and that's and that's when I knew I was done. Oh, and, man. Yeah, yeah. I've I, I seen all those statements and uh, it definitely changed my perspective. Gotcha. Now, let me ask you this. It says confidential. So when you're reading it, you don't know who's the one giving the statement, but they're just like giving their point of view or the, or their facts, I guess. Yeah. So that's a good question, bro. So the thing with us, bro, is that, you know, 19th Street is where I was from. Okay. And we were really, really known uh, for violence. You know, not that's ex not exclusively me. I'm talking about as a chapter. Yeah. And so, um, but we were also really tight. Uh, the guys that were involved in the violence. So we knew each other's names. So yeah, it might say confidential informer number one, and it might say WW, but I know who Warren Wells is, right? Gotcha. Like, this is, he was one of my best friends. So, I mean, yeah, you can put it in initials, but I'm going to know who it is. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? okay, I got you. And, yeah, yeah, so so that's kind of how it was, bro. Like, I knew exactly who it was. He wasn't the only one. I didn't mean to single him out, yeah. you know, but... Uh, um, but he wasn't the only one. And, and, and so, yeah, man, that's, that's, everybody knew right away, like who was, who was who. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you read this and that, that, that does that uh, change your perspective or, or what are you going to do next as far as like the case? Yeah. So man, when you get, you get news like that, right? You're, I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're devastated, right? Because I mean, these are people that you trusted your whole life. Right. <clears throat> in some in some form right i mean some of the some of the guys on my case i've known since very early in middle school and so yeah man it, it changes not just how you approach the case but how you think about the people right. that you once you know put your right fist to your heart and saluted them and basically said i would die for you you know it, it, it changes and so me and my brother were fortunate enough where we were in a unit next to each other right okay. and, and so we used to be able to talk through the vet and like I said, we were really close. We had a really close group. Uh, me, my brother, and my friend too. I mentioned a lot on my podcast. Okay. Um, and and then uh, like my brother's uh, little brother, uh, um, he also was another close person who definitely was involved in, in violence. And so I, I bring this up because we, as a unit, once we all went through the discovery and we understood where we were at, we decided. Listen, we're the only ones that are going to go away for the rest of our lives here. Right. You know, everybody else is going to go home at some point. You know, yeah. Everybody, everybody was saying, "Hey, we expect to see you at trial with us," you know, and this and this and that. But they're facing ten years max. Right. You know? And so, you know, we had a real discussion amongst each other. You know, through our families, and we said, "Listen, man, the best move for us is probably going to be to cooperate." Okay. You know? And and hope to hope to get some semblance of our life back, you know. And you know, when people hear that, a lot of people think, "Oh man, you told on a bunch of people to go home." But the, the reality is that we were all the ones that committed the violent crimes. Gotcha. So it wasn't like we had a lot of ammunition to help us, right. you know. And and that showed in our sentences. You know, I still ended up with nineteen years. Oh man. Um, yeah, and, my and, brother. And, 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 my, uh, nineteen years. This is a Fed time, right? Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. And my brother, my brother ended up with, with life and two Whoa. ended up with life. Yeah. And so my brother just got blessed. He just came back, but, uh, on a law, on a juvenile, on a juvenile law. And, and they basically agreed to resentence him and he ended up getting, he got 25 years. So he, he got four years left, which is a blessing. Oh you man. Know, he, so, was, he was never coming up. So, so, so he went from life to 25. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And now my friend too is waiting on the same thing, you know, okay, no, no. he had the same sentence. Now, was he young when this happened? Yeah. So both Juvenile? of them for, for their murders. Yeah. They were 16. Okay. Right. Hey, could I ask you about that? Is that the law where they were saying about like the brain not being like fully developed for them to like be able to make like the right choices and stuff? Yeah, correct. So, um, it's, it's actually called Miller versus Alabama, which is the okay. case law. Right. And, um, they passed this in, I believe it was 2012, um, where they basically said it's, it's unconstitutional. It's against, it's against the Eighth Amendment right to sentence a juvenile to life without the possibility of parole, right? And and that, that last little part is the key because if you get life with the possibility of parole, 
you're not eligible for to come back for a, a reduction in your sentence. Okay. You know, and uh, there was actually a lot of litigation behind my brother's case because uh, we were charged federally, and and for some reason, in the federal system, if you're charged with RICO as your number one charge, and then the underlying charge is murder, it almost lessens the offense of murder because. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because murder by itself is mandatory life in the federal system. If you take a plea to murder or if you go to trial to first-degree murder, it's mandatory life if death isn't imposed. Now, murder under the RICO is still up to a life sentence, but now the judge has discretion. Okay. And so that's what created the drama is because when my brother was fighting, he's saying, hey, listen, I got sentenced to a mandatory life sentence. Then they're saying, no, 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 wait. Your judge had discretion to give you life, and that's what he chose to do, but he didn't have to. All you right. see, and that's where semantics come into play. I mean, yeah, it's a yeah, loophole. Yeah. You know, it's a loophole for the federal government. Yes. So, yeah, that's, that's the situation he dealt with. Right? Okay, so, okay. Um, yeah, and my friend Toot is dealing with it right now, but, but he should be, God willing, he should be, you know, he should be home. All right. Um, in a similar time frame. Yeah, so, so that's what happened, man. We came in and we cooperated. And like I said, I mean, I was in the county jail for four and a half years waiting for the smoke to clear from our case, you know, because there was 49 of us. Man. And um, <clears throat> so this is where I guess the soul searching began. Um, because I'll be honest, you know, a lot of people, I ain't going to say a lot of people, but I, I assume people that cooperate, they come up and they say, yeah, Jesus changed my life. And I just decided to do everything around, and that's 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 why I cooperated. You know, I turned my life to God. Right. And and I'm not I'm not here professing that. Okay. You know, I didn't even believe I didn't even believe in God. Um, you know, 2005 was a rough year for me, man. Uh, that's that's the year my father passed away, uh, in April, and then obviously we got indicted in 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 October, and so I felt like everything that I ever knew as a man was stripped from me. Right. You know, and then obviously going through the process of uh, fighting the case in the beginning, you know, my kid's mom, you know, she broke bad. And so it's like, damn, I lost everything. Like everything's gone. And in my mind, I even said it in the street, you know, no just God would do this to me. Right. Like there's, there's, there's no way. And um, obviously now I know that, that was the only way God could bring me to him. Gotcha. And, and the reason why I say that is because, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, you know, nobody could ever tell me anything, you know, they can never tell me anything to get me out of the gang. So, you know, my dad, who was my hero as a, as a young kid, you know, my older cousin, my older brother would write me and say, Hey, listen, don't go to the street. Don't go to the street or the street. But it's like, if I won't listen to them, who was I ever going to listen to? Right. And, and this is the only way, in my, you know, looking back now, I understand this is the only way God could break me down and say, listen, I'm the only way. Right. And I truly believe that. And there was a, there was a big point in my life, man. I remember I had started writing a book and we had just, we had just cooperated. Go ahead. You got something? No, no. I was going to ask you, when you started writing this, are you still in the county or are you already like in the place? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I'm still in the county jail. Okay, okay. I'm still in the county jail. This is this is this is when uh, <clears throat> this is when my spiritual walk started. All right. You know, and there's a bunch of different things going on at one time, right? Like I would go to Bible study, but only because I could see my brother there. Oh yeah. You know, like I would, you know, yeah. So so like I was I was using the system, right? Yes, and yes. almost using God, almost using God to, right. to, to see my brother or see whoever else. Like there was a couple, like Toot was there or or Benny was there and then we go see each other in church. Right. And so, um, but I was never a believer. I was never a believer. Yeah. And I remember when I was writing the book, man, I was probably in the middle, you know, in the middle stages of where I was at and I ended up getting to a fight. Right. And, uh, I go to the hole and <clears throat> at this time, man, I didn't believe anything divine. Okay. I didn't, I didn't believe, I didn't believe that there was anything greater than me. And so I remember being in the hole, being an ad tag and writing my book, writing my book. And then just like, uh, you know, like starting to wonder, like, man, you know, like how, 
first it was about doubt about in myself about how I could put so much trust into this Latin King ideal. And, and that's where it started. And then, and then I started thinking like, man, like theologically, where should I go if I was trying to find something higher to believe in? And, and so I knew that I would have to really be certain this time because I felt like I got duped. Yeah. You know, I had, I had felt like I got tricked and, uh, and I was ashamed. I was embarrassed about that Right, right. as a man, yes. you know, cause I felt like, I felt like my dad raised me to be stronger than that. He would always tell me be a leader, not a follower. And, and I, those things just, they started to resonate more, you know, and I never really had the opportunity to mourn my father because I was incarcerated when he died. And then, and then I got out and he wasn't around. I was only out for a little bit and then I got locked back up. So, you know, in prison, you hold those things in, man, right. and, and you harbor and you fester. And I just remember being there like hurt, like, dang, man, like I let him down. And I mentioned this, this to you before, and I think it's important to mention again is that, you know, I didn't have some spiritual moment, bro. Like I didn't have this, this great miraculous moment that a lot of people have and in order to bring me to God. I didn't have that. You know, in my mind, my mind was going to get me there, <laughs> right? So, so, so that's what I was dependent on. That's how naive I was, but that's what I was dependent on. And so I started to vet different religions. You know, I, I remember I had a book, and it was just a book about a bunch of different religions and the contradictions that are within each religion. Okay. And um, and I just remember reading it, and I remember reading about you know reading about Muslims and reading about Buddha and reading about atheists and reading about you know um, Orthodox Jews and, and Christian Jews and then and then ultimately getting to Christianity <clears throat> and and so to give a little bit of background. Um, I didn't grow up in a particularly religious household, okay. right? But I mean, my my parents believed in God, but they never they never professed it to me. Right. And um, so, as a kid, I went to like church once in a while. It would be like Catholic church, so I identified more with Catholic church. Okay. And so, <clears throat> obviously, as you get older, you know, they start having them buses come around the neighborhood to come get you to bring you round everybody up and take you to church. I think that's Baptist church, and uh, I might have went there a couple times for the candy. But, uh, but yeah, so I started to try to understand Christianity. And uh, the more I started to understand Christianity, the more it pulled me away from Catholicism. Okay. And and so, and that's not a knock on, on Catholics, like, you know, <clears throat> just where I was at. Right, right. And, and, and it's because I needed to simplify it for me. I needed it to be safe for me, you know? I didn't want to look like an idiot no more. Gotcha. And uh, I remember reading, man, and, and uh, the first verse I went to was the verse that everybody knows, right? John three sixteen, and and I just remember going to that verse and thinking, how is this relevant to me? Okay. And and how how does this apply to somebody like me? And and I started like literally going through all the terrible things I had done in my mind, you know, in my life. I had to, I just, you know just like constantly just flashing in front of me, just all the bad things I've done. And I started thinking, man, there's no way that if there is a higher power, I would ever make it to, to heaven, right. you know? And, and I needed to find a way to, to make that right. And listen, man, the process is long and it's slow. You know, some people take it head on and never look back. But being that I had already a bad experience and the only structure that I put in my life, I was really slow and I came along slowly and I started to study more. I started to read the Bible more. And, um, and that's, that's when I realized like that, that's what fit me. Jesus fit me. All right. Um, and, and, um, and then it's about sharpening your iron, right? Like it's about sharpening your sword. Yeah. And it's about being able to defend that. And uh, I think that's innate for me, right? Like it's, it's like even when I was a, when I was a king, it was about defending that and it was about sticking up for it. And, right. and that was the first place I went with Christianity because there's so many people that are naysayers and they try to debunk all these, these things. They don't understand that faith is something that you can't debunk. It's something you can't see. Right. And that's, that's kind of where my my faith really started to pick up, man, and and 
and I'm still growing to this day and I believe I got a lot more growing to do, but I think that's, that's kind of the gist of where my life started to turn around. Gotcha. Okay. And, and, and this was happening while, while you're still in the County. Yeah. Yeah. I was okay. still in the County jail. Um, so, so you feel like God, it was like probably, it was probably, probably like 2008, bro. Okay. To be honest with you. All right. Like around 2008. Yeah. I had been there already for three years. Right. So no, you mentioned like you feel like you were duped like before and man, so you're you're taking it easy, right? You wanna make sure, man, this is the way I wanna go. So you feel like God may be putting you in that direction. So now what happens next? Like uh as far as the case goes, where do you end up? Yeah, that was like two thousand eight, man, and then like I said, it was a slow journey. And then for anybody that's been in the county jail, you know, like uh you know, there's there, there's you have to and in prison, you have to carry yourself with respect. You have to have a certain bravado, otherwise you're going to be a target. Right. And so it's hard, man, to walk a godly life when you're trying to stick up for yourself and you're trying to be a man, right? Yeah. And so I kind of, you know, I, 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 I committed to God. I committed to Christ in my heart, you know, and that was the biggest step. And, and to be honest with you, I felt like it was the most important step because I felt like I didn't need to put that, transformation on the platform i didn't need to do it in front of anybody in order for it to to be valid and so i carried it with me and my brother was also a christian okay and that strengthened my faith you know because we used to talk and you know we'd write each other letters because at this time there was times where we were broken up we were together we were broken up i mean four and a half years in the county jail that's gonna happen right and um and so yeah man we ended up in 2010 um I was like one of the last guys sentenced. I remember two got sentenced first and he got life. And I remember like, uh, you know, I shed a tear behind that man. Just the thought of it, yeah. you know, like, like he's, he's like one of my best friends, like almost like family, you know, right. still to this day, like I still talk to him to this day. And, uh, that hurt. But when my brother got life, I broke down, man. you know, like I, I, I couldn't understand that concept. I couldn't fathom what that meant. And and I just remember in my head thinking, man, what about me? I'm next. Right. What am I going to get? You know, what, what, what what's going to happen to me? Now, like I said, there were some extenuating circumstances with me. You know, I was only 15 um, when I committed my murder. And the bulk of my crimes happened between the ages of 13 and 16. And so... I think the judge, he put a lot into that, right. you know, uh, being that I was a kid and, and kind of lost. And, and I ended up getting 19 years, two months. That was my sentence. Um, and then because of my cooperation, right, we had to, we had to be careful, right? We had to be careful about what we were going to do. And we were offered the opportunity to go to the, the witness security program, which is, you know, witness protection and uh we believed it was necessary i mean obviously my brother's got life tooth got life i got 19 years it's not like we can just skate around these united states penitentiaries right. without without being questioned you know and um <clears throat> so i mean obviously we agreed and uh you know once i went to prison man it was so these units there are units that's attached to a bigger prison, a bigger complex. So, you know, a complex, a federal prison complex might have a United States penitentiary, a medium, a low, a camp, and then maybe one isolated unit that is for what I'm talking about. Right, right? right. Now, there's only like six, there's only like six of these units in the whole United States. So there's not many. And, and it's, it's the cream of the crop kind of people that get in here. You don't just get in here, you know, on a whim. And, uh, you know, I was there with, uh, I was there with some pretty, some pretty big players, man. I was oh, there yeah. with the Flores twins. Yeah. I was oh, there man. with the Flores twins. I'm sure everybody in Chicago knows them. Right. Um, and so I was there with, uh, man, I was there with a lot of, I was there with Sammy the Bull. Um, everybody knows that name. Yeah. yeah New York, huh? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I was there with a lot of guys, man. And so you get to these prisons. I was lucky because, when I first got to the prison, my brother was actually there and we ended up being together for four years. And so that was, that was really, really great. And, and to top that off, um, 
my half brother was there as well. Now my half brother, I didn't, I don't really know him, and he's not, he's not technically my half brother. I'm related to him. I'm related with him through my older brother. Oh um, yeah, yeah, gotcha. my older brother. Yeah, yeah, my older brother and him share a father, yeah. and so you know, but we're like family. Right, you right. know, he knew me since I was a baby. Now, you gotta remember, it's a little different though. He knew me since I was a baby because he had been locked up since '91. Whoa! So he's been in prison for a long, long time, and he's right. still in prison to this day, which is unfortunate. Right. But that's another story. Um. Yeah. So we were there, man. And the first four years I was there, man, they flew by, man. It was. It was. Uh, it was great. It was, you know, just us hanging out, being able to be, and then, and then the unit just was not a great unit. You got to remember these units are, are really dumbed down versions of prison. You know, right. they don't have programs because of security. This yeah, is yeah. Their they don't have programs because of security. They don't have this because of security. They don't have that. So you're literally in a sardine can, you know, uh, 24 hours a day. And, um, so yeah. And then, um, my life turned, in a more positive direction. Right. And I had been going to Bible study, okay. you know, I had started to, uh, you know, adapt the word into my lifestyle as far as how I treated people and just humble myself and search out Christ and, and just allow that to manifest inside of me. And like I said, it's a slow process, man. For me, it was never, it didn't just grab hold of me. Right. And, um, so about 2014, my life changed, but it wasn't, how you think okay. so a friend of mine i knew well i knew i knew i knew these two brothers right and i knew one more than the other but i knew them both and i was really good friends with both of them they were from different chapters of the latin kings in milwaukee okay their sisters were really good people man just just really good people just caring people and when we were actually in the county jail together my friend he would have his sisters come visit you know just just nothing, nothing crazy, just for support. Yeah, yeah. Just go see, you know, go see Tim, go see Berto. Right. You know, and they would come see, you know, just, hey, man, how you doing? Just because they know, like, man, it's rough. Like, you know what it's like to see a face from the yeah, street, yeah. like, while you're in jail. And it's just it's a crazy feeling, man. Oh, so, yeah. so anyways, the little brother ended up getting killed. He mm. gets shot and he gets killed. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I remember, you know, I remember being in shock, like, man. Man, it's crazy. Like, you know, I had spent time with him before I got indicted in 05. Like, I knew him. You know, I knew him pretty decently. Right. And I just remember feeling terrible for for their family because they were a close-knit group of brothers and sisters. And and so I remember I wrote a card and I sent my condolences out. And and I sent it to his sister and, and she wrote me back. And she's like, yeah, you know. And, and then we kind of talked about it and... And from there, we just kind of started writing, man, just as friends, because we knew each other. You know, we had kind of separated once I went to prison and not in the county jail. And and so we just kind of started communicating and talking. And, and man, I, I don't know, man, I guess you say the rest is history, right? Okay. I mean, we end up, you know, we end up uh, falling in love with each other. I ended up falling in love really hard and really fast. And... Uh, I just remember her saying, man, you, you know, wherever I was at, she was going to come there and she was going to, she was going to be there for me. And I'm like, well, this isn't the place I want to be. I was in Pennsylvania at the time right. and it's terrible. And so I ended up moving to Minnesota and sure enough, man, she moved up there and, and, uh, never missed a visit, never Ooh. missed a phone call, you know, every week, years and years. Um, I got there in 2014 and, and, and I got released in 2020. And, uh, and like I said, never missed a visit, never missed a phone call, never missed a letter. And when I got out of Merida, and uh, yeah, it's my wife to this day, man. She was there for me 100%. Man, and, that's, that's uh, some even though, dedication, man, to just, uh, she basically uprooted her life, right? Just to go to be with where yeah. you were at. Yeah, and uh, definitely not worthy of it, man. Definitely, right. definitely, I'm still trying to to better myself for her. Gotcha. You know, she's a great woman. And oh. so, yeah, that changed my life. Bro. That right there in itself, I can tell you this right now, that right there in itself, aside from God, because I believe God put her in my life. Amen. I believe Christ put her in my life. Yes. Um, but she's the single most reason why I'm um, any piece is successful at this point in my life. You know, just the strongest backbone you could have, um, always supportive, always there, and never ask questions. You know, never, you know, never 
trust issues. There's never nothing. And I don't necessarily deserve that. Right. You know, so um, just grateful. Just grateful. Man, sure. Yeah, that definitely sounds like like a blessing that God sent you, you know, during that time. Yeah. So, okay, you you get out, you get married. What, what else changes in life? Like, obviously, I know you mentioned you were at Milwaukee. Obviously, you can't go back, so you probably had to go somewhere else, right? Yeah, I ended up, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I couldn't go back. I couldn't right, go back. Right. That's, that's a way to put it. I was going to say, I was going to say it differently, right? Because obviously I could have went back, but that's, that's a dumb. No, right, right. right. So, yeah, I, I couldn't go back, man. That's, that's a good way to put it. And yeah. this is a testament to how great my wife is, again, because before I got out, she said, well, where do you want to go? And I said, well, where do you want to go? And she's like, I want to go somewhere hot. I said, okay, <laughs> well, let's go somewhere hot. Gotcha. And, uh. And we ended up choosing Arizona, man. And yeah, I, since I've been out, man, I, uh, you know, when I first got out, man, it was a culture shock. <laughs> you know, it was, it was different. You know, I was away for 15 years. Okay. And so, you know, leaving when I left, when I left this free world, you know, it was, it was flip phones and sidekicks, right. you know, and, and I got out and it's, it's iPhones and, and, uh, and, and all kinds of different movements, yeah. you know, and uh, a lot of things that I, uh, I was uncertain about a lot of uh, a lot of ways of life that I, I was unfamiliar with. I had to adjust, and this is not a knock on any one person, but it just it's different, bro. Like I grew up in a traditional conservative kind of mindset, you know, with my father being the way he was, and then you right. get out, and it's like you got these woke communities, and <laughs> you got these you got to have a pronoun for this, and right. and. You know, if if you say the wrong thing, you're a bigot and a racist, and it was just all really, really new to me. Right. You know, and so uh, it's it's it's, it's even new to us that are out here, man. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, gotcha. yeah. I bet. Yeah. So my wife helped me tremendously, man, and I and I ended up. Uh, you know, the first goal when you get, I don't. I mean, I mean you've been in prison before, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, I was okay. locked up from uh, ninety-seven to uh, two two thousand. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you did time. So, you know, when you get out, right, you want to be a provider, right? right? Like the first thing you want to do is you want to provide. You don't want to be looked at as like a bum. And, and that's kind of where I was at, man. When I got out, I'm trying to think, okay, what's the most way I can make money legally, right? What's the fastest way I can right. make money legally? And at this time, the booming industry was trucking. Yeah. So, bam, you know, first of all, it took me three months to get all my identity back because I had nothing. I had right. a social security card and a birth certificate. But anyways, I ended up getting my CDL, um, and I was on the road. Um, you know, I had a couple jobs locally, and then my, my me and my brother got into business. He, he he put down a down payment to get a truck, and I was on the road. And uh, let's just put it like this, man. You know, I'm still an imperfect person, and I made bad decisions, and I jeopardized my marriage. Oh, man. And um, it was the worst mistake of my life. And, and at that point, I knew that that road I was on, literally and figuratively was not where I needed to be in my life. I needed to be here. I needed to be home. Right. And, um, and you know, it, it, you know, to, to, to piggyback on that thought is, you know, being in that truck was almost like I was being back in the shell, you know? And so it, it was, it was, it was just all the things encompassed in, in that life and being out there on the road and, and, and driving and, and then being close to my home where I could go and hang out with people and party. And it was just all negative. Right. You know, and and um, and there's no excuse um, for for the, that kind of behavior. It's just, uh, you know, it, it just it just goes to show, man, you can lose sight of what's important really fast. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. I came back home and I started getting back into what I had studied a little bit in prison, which was the electrical program. And and, and I'm studying to be an electrician right now. Um, and I've been working for about a year as an electrician. So. Yeah, I got a church I go to once a week. Nice. And uh, and yeah, man, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, I've, I'm grounded. You know, I'm far from perfect. You know, and and uh, and I think that's my message, even on my okay. own podcast. Is listen, man, I, I'm not trying to profess to be something that everybody else isn't. In fact, I'm trying to profess the opposite, and that is that we're all the same, and we all make bad choices, and we can redeem ourselves from from them. Yeah, man. Hey, you know what's the man? You're out now. You're you're doing the podcast. What's like a like you would say like maybe like a main point that you would like to say to any young man that's listening to this? Uh, maybe they're in the streets. You know, they're they're going at it hard, and they feel like, man, this this I'm I'm gonna give my life for this. 
Uh, right. I, I know you mentioned when you read that, that you know, the, right. ma the manifesto, like, man, this is maybe in a sense what I was born to do. But w what would you say to, to that young man that, that ain't listening to nobody right now? Right, right. And that's the key. Exactly what you just said. He ain't listening to nobody. Right. So you know who that young man will listen to? He'll listen to himself. Okay. And, uh, I, and I say that because, you know, when I was that age, like I said, I reiterated, nobody could tell me nothing. And, um, but what somebody could have done is they could have sat me down and said, I'm not going to tell you to learn from my mistakes, but you can look at the facts of your current situation and learn from your own. And what I mean by that is if somebody would have sat me down and pointed out all the inconsistencies of this entire lifestyle and then pointed out the inconsistencies of the people that I was surrounding myself with, right? Maybe they wouldn't, maybe, maybe I wouldn't have been down that path. And so that, that would be my main message to any kid to say, Hey, listen, I'm not going to tell you and try to come and influence you to do anything you don't want to do. All I'm going to tell you is look at the people you surround yourself with and look at the organization you surround yourself with and tell me how many people live by them bylaws. Mm. And I guarantee you, you're going to find the overwhelming percentage does not live by them. Right. And so are you willing to risk your life for that small percentage that does? You know, and, and I think that's, that's the, that's the overwhelming theme that, that I would spread for the rest of my life is it's not even about what you think about me or, or what my message represents to you. It's about you analyzing the people that you're around. And if you do that, I guarantee you, man, there'll be a lot of kids that walk away from right. because all these guys that they say love them, all these guys that they say will kill for them, all these guys that they say they'll die for them. Them guys will tell on you in a heartbeat if they have the opportunity. Them guys will sleep with your girlfriend as soon as you get locked up. Maybe where you're not even locked up. Right. Yeah, you know, that's the sad part. You do yeah. do it when you're out. They're savages. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and uh and and so and I know because I was a part of that lifestyle. You know? So I, I know that there's so many more things wrong than are right. Gotcha. You know, uh, and so that would be my main message, bro. And and I hope it really resonates. Hey, man, hey, man. Oh, yeah, th 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 thanks for sharing that. I usually ask all our guests if they would uh, close us out in prayer. Do you do you want to do that? Oh, I'll give it a shot, man. I'm not okay. I'm not a big prayer, but I'll hey, give man, it a just, shot. Yeah. <clears throat> Go ahead, man. Okay. Heavenly Father, I come to you, and I, I thank you for allowing me and Omar to connect. Um, I thank you for allowing me to bring this message forward. And I just pray that it hits whoever uh, you deem appropriate. And I just thank you for all the blessings you provided with me in my life. And um, I just ask you continue to watch over all the people that I love and care about, that Omar loves and cares about, and that you just continue to allow your word be spoken through us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, brother. Hey, Alberto, real quick, could you share the, the podcast name and maybe what platforms people could go to check it out? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's normalized crime. You can also email us at normalized crime at Gmail if you had any questions, but it's always on uh, basically any platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I think even Google Podcasts has some. Um, the only thing that we're not on, I believe, is YouTube. Um, so, yeah, we're everywhere, man. You you look up normalized crime, you're going to be able to find it. Uh, and and uh, there's, a, there's a lot of good in there. Yeah. All right. Hey, you know, hey, hey, Berto, th th thank you for coming on here, man. I appreciate your time, uh, your story. And uh, like you mentioned, you know, the, uh, a lot of times it's just like to basically look at your surroundings and see things for what they are. You know, a, a lot of, I think a lot of times we try to dismiss like the obvious, like let little things get away, man. And it's better if they catch it now than later. Right. 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 No, for sure, bro. For sure. And, uh, and thank you so much for having me on, man. Allowing me to, to bring my story. And then I really hope your audience appreciates it. Okay, amen. All right. So so with that, yeah, we're going to get ready to close out. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Round of Strong Chicago. Matthew 416 reads, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. My name is Omar Calvillo. I am Round to Strong. Peace.